As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm delighted to be joined by Seb Halford's Floor. Hi, Seb. Hello, Joe Devine. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. You're sat right next to John McKenzie. Hi, John. John McGenzie, I believe. Yes, John McGenzie. That's <laughs> yeah. right. And of course, for uh, listeners to the podcast, we're referring to the pun-related uh, jokes that the uh, the live chat were making last night. Of course, if you're listening to us, you can also join us live on YouTube in the immediate aftermath of the final game of every game day of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Very exciting, isn't it? But you know what else is exciting? We're joined by a special guest today. The reason we've squashed Seb and John together in one one close camera shot <laughs> as though they weren't special enough to have their own close-up shot because we have a very special person here. All the way from the Ranks FC podcast, it's Sam Tai. Hi, Sam. Hello. How are you doing? All right? I'm great. It's good to be here. Well, thanks for coming. You've joined us today to, to uh, chat and to do a little bit of tactic stuff on the on the board. Uh, so we'll look forward to hearing more from you shortly and probably by the end of the podcast being a bit sick of you. Uh, but if you want something to get sick of, but it'll take a really long time to get sick of it, that's The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. The quality so high that I'm not even sick of it and I work here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, some days, but it's unrelated to the quality of the product. I have to say, I have to say. That, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a special offer on at the moment, Joe. You can get The Athletic for £1 per month for six months. What an incredible deal. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Yeah. Uh, but for now, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Sam Tai. Ready? When Sam is sad, he Sam cries. Okay, that's that's a pretty good start. Let's see. Let's yeah. see if we can improve that throughout the uh, course of the podcast. Don't make that your personal mission for the evening. <laughs> <laughs> Once you're sick of him, he'll be Sam Sai. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. I feel like it's pretty a bit good. too easy to pun on his name yeah, based on the sounds like so many other things. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's begin. Right, let's start with Brazil to nil Serbia. Um, it feels, I mean, it was quite an, an interesting game to watch there, quite a fun one. Uh, will you start, though, with uh, helping the uninitiated here? Why are Brazil favourites for the tournament, would you say? I mean, because there's plenty of good teams here. Lots and lots and lots and lots of really good players. Also, lots of fun players who capture the imagination. Brazil are stacked with attacking talent. Um, obviously, Neymar is the, the one that everybody knows. And... Um, the, the the player around a lot of this tournament uh, around him a lot of this tournament is centered because it's kind of his last chance really uh, to collect the award um, that he's been expected to win um, probably since he was about sixteen he's been uh, ever since he was a teenager Neymar has been the um, the next force in Brazilian football and I suppose there's different ways of interpreting his career but it would feel a little bit under un, under fulfilled mm-hmm. mm. unfulfilled if he weren't to win the World Cup or the Ballon d'Or. Or probably both things because they generally go together. Mm. Um, but around him, there's an extraordinary collection of talent, which um, makes him a clear favourite, especially after Argentina's debacle against Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So I think we saw some of it tonight. Neymar came into the game as the story. Richarlison scored probably what will end up being one of the goals of the tournament. Um, Lucas Paqueta is in there. Casemiro is in there. Thiago Silva is still there um, after all this time. Alexandro. Um, and also, 
for, for, for people who don't watch a lot of Brazil, I think you engage an awful lot just by saying they're able to bring off um, or to bring on Gabriel Martinelli uh, and Gabriel Jesus off the bench into the game. That speaks to a level of strength and depth, which not a lot of countries have um, at this tournament. And actually, I'm, I mean, maybe with the exception of Spain, they're probably one of the only favourites, now that we've finished the first round of games, to actually exceed expectations in terms of level of performance. I think they were excellent. Really, really well. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, they, they beat Serbia 2-0 today. Serbia uh, uh, maybe didn't play brilliantly, but they're a tough team to beat. Thinking about the other big teams right. in this tournament, yeah. Germany, Argentina <laughs> losing their opening games, England beating an Iran team that certainly weren't at their best. Um, Spain, obviously, hammering Costa Rica, who were woeful, as JJ described yep. yesterday. Um, I don't know, John, do you feel like off the, the first game, Brazil kind of... I mean, they do look like favourites, don't they? It's hard to say, I think, because they were playing against a low block for a large portion of this game. So it's hard to say how representative that will be of games later on in the tournament. And I think there's been a few funny games so far, namely Germany. The first half of the Germany game, I thought Germany looked incredible in this half because they're playing the closest at that point to what I would describe as a domestic style of play. Um, they were they were looking to possess the ball. They were looking to move it through the thirds. They were looking to generate dangerous moments through manipulating space. And they looked really, really on it. And then obviously en- they ended up not not winning that game. Spain, similarly, playing a very sort of domestic style of football um, and and doing really, doing really well from it. And I suppose mm-hmm. the big question is, is to what extent is the style of play that you're using in the group stages going to translate into what you're doing um, in, in the, the knockout stages when when the, the rubber hits the road? Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, that's kind of what I feel like with, with Brazil. In this game, they had to break down a really stubborn team and it's hard to tell how that will then translate into them playing against teams who are probably going to be trying to play the same sort of style of football as, as they are as well. So it, I, it, it, in the group stages, it's really easy to make snap judgments about how good teams are, but I think it's still too early to be able to do that after just one game okay. from each team. Still, the last 25 minutes of that game where Serbia had to step out a little bit, they yeah. could not sit in the low block because they were a goal down they literally took one player out of their defensive structure and just got rinsed, mm. like absolutely rinsed. So I think it's probably fair to deduce that if you do step out against Brazil, they could just bludgeon you. And, yeah. and what was really impressive tonight was for 65 minutes, they didn't they didn't necessarily make too many clear-cut chances. I don't, I don't think that they were exactly flowing. But what they did do was just keep a relentless amount of pressure on the opposition. And you are just going to get tired. You will wilt eventually. And when they start to wilt, they bring on Gabriel Jesus, Martinelli, Rodrigo. I mean, how scary is that? Mm. So you know, Vinicius does the first bit, then Rodrigo comes on, takes the bat and does the next bit. And you will not be able to sit there for 90 minutes and defend against Brazil. But if you open up and play aggressively, it just gives them more space. You know, you know what I really like about that? It's like some of these substitutions, you bring on ready-made combinations from different clubs. Mm. So you have the option if you're Brazil to play... Uh, Vinicius and Rodrigo on opposite as opposite wide forwards. You can bring on Martinelli uh, and Jesus who play together for club level. And if you think about the context of European football at the moment, where everyone's exhausted, mm. players are being run to the ground, and also most importantly, um, these international sides have had six days worth of preparation. Yeah. If you're able to have that uh, in your team in any form, great. If you're able to have it in reserve, what a luxury that is. Well, you've yeah. got Fred and Casemiro as well who are now playing together. I was going to say they on Anthony yeah. and Fred. You missed out mm. the biggest Anthony combo. Anthony and Fred, absolutely. Well. <laughs> Almost <laughs> a shame McTominay isn't Brazilian. But these are super important. <laughs> I was having a conversation with someone earlier today who talked about how the friendlies are the time when you, you forge these combinations and you develop these understandings within a team which allow you to kind of, which allow you security and trust within a tournament. Brazil have them. Mm-hmm. They already have them and they don't need that. And yeah. I think that's going to be, I don't know, um, like maybe it's one of the reasons why, even though we've seen quite a lot of um, probably reserve football, I call it through the the first week of the tournament or the first sort of round of games, Brazil already look like they're in a higher gear, which well, is really jo- interesting. John, we we mentioned a couple of player names already. Can I ask you a question about the starting lineup? Mm. It, I mean, it shows what I know that I was a bit confused why Richarlison started over Gabriel Jesus. Richarlison, obviously, as Seb said, probably scoring maybe the goal of the tournament. Um, but why do you think Chiche made that choice? Yeah, it's it's hard to say because actually, if you look at the Brazil lineup, it's a very attacking lineup. So we've got it on the board in front of us here. Um, we saw the two wide players for Brazil just hugging the touchline, so pushing really far out wide, trying to get in behind those wing backs mm-hmm. because there is space there against the the back three. Um, and then 
with with Richarlison as the nine, then you've got two players who are essentially playing as eights in Neymar and Paqueta. Mm-hmm. I need, need to pronounce that properly. Paqueta. Paqueta, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and then only Casemiro is the holding midfield. It's a really attacking lineup. And I, I guess this is a really attacking lineup because uh, Chiche expected Serbia to sit quite deep. So the big question is, like, how do you how are you going to break down a, a lower block? Um, how are you going to come up against these all really tall centre-backs? Um, and I guess the, the options you have are Gabriel Jesus or Richarlison. Now, it may be the case that when you come up against a low block, you might think it would be better to have a player like Gabriel Jesus because he mm. is um, a, a, a bit more of a of, of a tight spaces. He's a wriggler. A wriggler, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he's the sort of player who can create something out of out of nowhere. But interestingly enough, in this game, both of the goals came from Richarlison playing box presence nine stuff. So mm. being in the right place to tap in uh, the the ball off the goalkeeper, which is not normally how I think about him as a as a player. And obviously, he doesn't doesn't usually play there for for Spurs, given that that's Harry Kane's position. What is it about him that enables him to do that better than Jesus? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you mentioned him not playing there for Spurs, and that is because they have Harry Kane. Yeah. Um, I think that they brought him in because he can replace Harry Kane if he need, if if Kane is isn't available, yeah. and I think that it's his his better position. Um, he's also a very hard worker as well, and and um, in certain games that will be important if they're if they're going to be looking to to press a little bit higher. But in terms of the differences between the way that Richarlison play that role plays that role and and Kane plays that role, I think as I've said, it's the big thing is is box presence. Um, if you're going to play with your two wide players in basically hugging the touchline as i've said um and then you've got two two more attacking players here both of whom are, are quite creative players in neymar and paqueta I said his name wrong again but you know who i mean what are we saying paqueta paqueta i think it is Tim Vickery there's, says there's paqueta. a still diller is there not still diller over there there's an accent over the last letter yeah, yeah. So. Uh, there you go paqueta paqueta do as i say not as i do right although that doesn't work in okay dad <laughs> um where was I at? Um, yeah, so you've got these two creative players behind. So perhaps there isn't quite so much of a need for someone like Gabriel Jesus. Um, in, in where that. was where was I? Where was I at? Is also a very daft thing to say, isn't it? So, <laughs> now where was I? I keep, lost uh, my place. Back into oh, it on. then. Yes. What was I just saying? Let me continue my lecture. Uh, just going back a minute. Mm. Oh. Please do though, Dan. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I was saying that the 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 two the two eights that they've got here in Neymar and Pakatar. Yeah. Um, are a little bit more creative, and so you've got the ability to break down the low block through creativity there mm. to a degree. Um, so maybe Gabriel Jesus wasn't wasn't preferred for that reason. But when we've seen Jesus play at Arsenal, we yes, he does play in these sorts of roles, but we've seen him drop out, rotate with with players like Martinelli. Mm. Um, he, he loves to pick the ball up in this sort of area yeah. and and make these sorts of runs into the box as well. Yeah. And I think that the reason why Chiche will, will not have gone with him in this first half is simply because he wanted uh, Richarlison to be able to pin this back line back to, yeah. a, to a degree um you do want to you do want someone who's going to be in those sorts of areas so that when you do create there is someone there to finish and that's how both of the goals occurred right? but it, it was a war of attrition wasn't it because like Richarlison was voting in this area i mean serbia we we'll just take these guys out for a second here serbia set up and goodell played right in the center here and in the defensive phase they were like this right Remember played, for the audio they listeners, played, you have to describe what you're doing. They played <laughs> back five, three in front, and then two up front. It was a mm. five-three-two shape, and they packed in and like they created this kind of like cone shape and blocked the middle of the pitch. So we got Vinicius and Rafinha all the way at the touchline, stretching the pitch as much as possible. But still, there wasn't a lot of space in there, and they were finding it really hard once they got the ball out to Vinicius and out to Rafinha to get it back in. Mm. either to Paqueta or either to Neymar or to Richarlison, feeding that ball back inside. It was so congested and mm. so difficult for them to do. So even though Richarlison was a box presence for them, I think there was still possibly a case there where if you had Jesus instead, so we'll pop him in instead, and had him floating in between the lines or drawing out to the right or left, as you said, and Rafinha maybe put dumping a little pass inside and and Jesus kind of turning and wriggling through as he so often does... There was still a case for that. I think that still can work, even mm. though he's drawing himself out of the box. It was just really hard for them to play against this Serbia block until they got tired. Mm. And Goodell got yellow carded for a silly challenge and got removed. And that destabilized them as well. They lost their anchor in their midfield. So games are 90 minutes and managers, sometimes we forget, like it's actually really important to use all of your arsenal and to use all of those 90 minutes. <clears throat> and for Brazil in particular, when you have this many players and this much depth, 
that really comes into play. Mm, yeah. Well, let's talk about Serbia then, Seb, because um, I was quite excited about this game. I, I think Serbia have got a, a, yeah. a very a fun team. Lots of, I mean, crucially, lots of players I recognise, <laughs> which really, which really does help. It's proven a vital ingredient so far in the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know? Speaking as the normal person here, yeah. When I watch a game of football, I don't know any of the players. Okay. Bit boring. I'm, I'm the normal here. Yeah, you're not the normal. Uh, no, don't know. What do you think of Serbia though? Disappointed. Yeah, I think Serbia have been a little bit unlucky in the time of the tournament because they've arrived with a lot of key parts unfit. So uh, Mitrovic didn't look fit. I think you can tell by the way he moves. He's one of those players that has a clear physical tell when he's not quite right. Um, Vlavic wasn't fit. Luka Jovic in a different universe would be one of the world's best players, probably isn't because the Real Madrid move went really badly. One of one of the world's most dangerous forwards. So they could have three alternating excellent strikers at their disposal. As it is, they've got two half-fit ones and one who's kind of lost his confidence. That's really difficult. Philip Kostic wasn't fit. Uh, I think, uh, as with um, Eintracht Frankfurt prior to his move to Juventus, completely different side when Kostic is on song. He gives you so much from that left-sided position. He covers so much ground. His delivery is really, really good. And I think... The, the best moments Serbia had this evening were probably from set pieces. And you saw the kind of the aerial threat they carried and add Kostic into that mix and the quality of his delivery. And they're a different side. I, I thought they were reserved. I thought they were a little bit fearful. It was clear to me, I think probably from the first half, you guys might disagree, but it seemed they were very, very happy to, to draw the game. I mean, they would have been very content to take a nil-nil out of this, which is fine um, on paper and in theory because it's Brazil and they're very strong. At the same time, you wouldn't say that Serbia, given what we've seen in this tournament, given by given the the proactive approach and the aggression showed by uh, quote unquote underdogs, you can damage these teams, particularly in the first game. And they never really tried to do that. Sam says something um, towards the end of the game where we were talking about how frustrating it is that teams change their approach based on what the score is, and then you see their true selves, and you see also like what they're capable of actually doing. And that was a little bit true of Serbia this evening, I thought. Yeah, okay. I think it's worth saying as well, this is their hardest game of the group. So I, I think they came out with that in mind. Um, we talk, I talked about Serbia being quite a fun side, potentially. They were not fun. In terms, of, in terms of the way that they play. And I think we're going to yeah. see that hopefully more in the other two games in that group because they can come out and play in that way against, um, against these other two sides and maybe cause more problems. But essentially what was happening in the game was that that they were obviously as we've said they were they were sitting deep and then in certain phases they were just going to try and get the ball forward to Alexandra Mitrovic to hold it up and because Brazil only had Casemiro as a holding player um with with Neymar and Paquetá in front of him in theory then there's a lot of space here that's attackable but it, because it wasn't the ball wasn't sticking with Mitrovic at all um it 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 just felt as though they were just never getting the ball into those into those moments where they could then win the second ball and exploit that central space um I think that they'll be much better at moving the ball in the other two games. And so hopefully as we, as we watch those games, we'll, we'll see a little bit more from them in that, in that respect. But um, the, as we said at the beginning of this section, the big question is just how good are Brazil? Because it could be the case that Brazil are the, the hands and away best team in this group, in which case a 2-0 loss to the best team in the, yeah, in the yeah. tournament. Well, I was going um, to say, I mean, we'll come on to talk about Switzerland and Cameroon a little bit later, who are the two other teams in, in this group. You mentioned for Serbia, obviously Brazil is their hardest game. I'm curious to, to hear from you guys a little bit later as for Brazil, whether Serbia is their hardest game in the group or not. Um, but uh, do you agree with what John says about Serbia before we move on, Sam? I mean, yeah, the ball wouldn't, they had the same... That the same first 60 minutes as Wales had the same first half against the USA. They sat really deep and every time they tried to play the ball forward, it did not stick. Yeah. This was because Mitrovic was probably unfit. He definitely, definitely didn't look fit. Wales was because, you know, Dan James couldn't make the ball stick. As soon as they brought on uh, a, a target man and Kiefer Moore who could make the ball stick, it was fine. Serbia did not appear to have anyone that they could do that because the guys they turned to, the ball won't stick with Jovic. And Vlavic is no fitter than Mitrovic because yeah. he hasn't played for over a month. So the real difficulty we're here was, and when I talked about that bludgeoning approach from Brazil, this is possible because the, if the ball never sticks, it just comes back. You cannot play for 90 minutes in that defensive setup, mm. survive five substitutions and several yellow cards <laughs> and get away with a nil-nil. It's not going to be possible against this quality yeah. and the waves of attackers that they can bring on. Yeah. Um, Ed, Edward uh, Lawrence in the chat says, lovely analysis from Jampai. So uh, thank Jam you for that. That's a pretty it, good one. Yeah. If I could just come back, it is worth saying that the what Wales did really well was they pushed their fullbacks further forward. Yeah. Now, 
if you do that in this game, you're leaving Vinicius Junior and Rafinha being marked by the outside centre backs, yeah. and that's yeah. much worse than leaving Timothy Weyer and Christian Pulisic uh, yeah. a little bit more open. And Serbia sure. were very, very sure. clearly focused on making sure that Vinicius at least had as little room to yeah. run through and penetrate as possible. That's, that's hard things to do. Vinicius, I think, is one of those players in a category where he has to be doubled yeah. every time he touches the ball because he's um, he's ever so skillful, clearly. He's added goal scoring and creativity to his game over the past probably 18 months to two years, but also the speed. Like He can be on either side. You can't just have a single fullback or wingback against him. You just can't do it. Um, and that's a kind of a feeds into the idea that you can't... like. I don't know. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's almost encouraging a, um, a very negative approach um, from anybody that faces, faces Brazil, I think, probably yeah. going forward. I think we're probably going to come back to talk about this later as well. And we're going to chat um, with Sam about his thoughts generally on the, the tournament. But it is interesting that we've talked about Serbia playing a low block and sitting very deep because we've seen already in this tournament <coughs> teams, uh, you know, getting results for doing the the opposite of that and i want to hear more about that a little bit later um but for now unless anybody has anything else they'd like to say about brazil zero i'd like you all to put your headphones on so that we can hear a nice message exciting bit to the uh to the tifo audience from james richardson let's have a listen hello tifo subscribers i'm james richardson woof and I'm here to tell you that the Totally Football Show now has its very own YouTube channel. That's right. If you want to join us uh, for clips from our nightly World Cup Totally shows and all the fun and drama from Qatar, just make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and we'll see you there. There we go. That was from James Richardson. We can all take our headphones off now. It's lovely to hear. He's a very nice man, isn't he? He's recording his podcast in the next room now. now. So if you're listening to this now and thinking, I wish there was something to listen to in the morning, it's probably that. He asked me for my hot takes on Brazil and I didn't give them. Did he? Yeah, I'll just keep them here. I can't imagine he asked you for anything, did he? He did, yeah. Does he know who you are? He follows me on Twitter, actually. Does he? Has done for about three years now. Wow. Asked me if I wanted a cup of tea yesterday. Did he? And I was like... He doesn't like you, Italia. Sure. doesn't like you though, Joe. I think he no, doesn't. I think I introduced me. myself to him a few uh, months ago, but um, I don't think he remembers me. Good podcast though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Should we have a break? I think so. All right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Oh, what a lovely break that was. A very delightful break. Did you enjoy that break, Jampai? I feel very well rested. Ah, refreshed and ready to discuss Portugal 3 to Ghana. Um, Let's start with you, Sam Tai. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, what was his performance like today? He's the hot talking point. He wasn't great, in my opinion. Okay. Um, to be honest with you, he's not really my kind of striker. But he scored anymore. a goal. And he he's did. the best player in the world. What's wrong with you? One of those statements is true, but mm. yeah. Um, he did score a goal. He scored the opener, won a penalty. Not 100% convinced that that's a penalty, but that's that's by the by. Um, well, Ronaldo, it was a pretty typical Ronaldo performance from... No, based on what we've seen over the last couple of years, he right. was really not that involved in the game. Yeah. Um, of course, the trade-off there usually is that when the chances come, he takes them. But he missed a one-on-one uh, with a bad touch and a bad finish. And then he missed a free header, which was pretty egregious by his standards, wasn't it, really? Yeah. Got clean contact on it. Amazing leap, as usual. Sure. But well off target. It was very strange. So He also also accidentally blocked someone's cross. That was I don't think that was yeah. his fault, but it was funny. Someone did, yeah, yeah. A cross, a cross was blocked by him as well. So it wasn't it wasn't particularly great from him. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna not gonna sugarcoat it for him. Not that he really cares. Sure. Uh, but I don't think it was particularly great. Um Portugal were a bit flat overall anyway. They played very slowly which doesn't really help an attacker find his rhythm. Sure. Like, he's not getting much of the ball anyway. And when the ball is coming, it's probably in bad areas, bad pace on the pass. A lot of what Portugal did was pretty 
was was pretty slow in possession. What they did do was actually maintain territory really well in the first half, at least. They penned Garner in really well and controlled their transition threat. So they didn't let Kudus spin out and, and run. Mm. And they didn't let Inyaki Williams run into the channels and chase any balls. They did they kept a cap on that really nicely. It did change in the second half as Garner kind of kicked into gear. Again, to what Seb was saying, when they needed something, things started to change. Mm. But Ghana were very defensive there. But Portugal sort of controlled them quite nicely. But it just didn't really result in too many like shots or chances or anything yeah. like that. Although, oddly enough, five get goals in that game versus the rest of the day, which was mm. fairly dry. Now, John, I, I asked you yesterday when we talked about Ronaldo as it relates to, to Manchester United, about uh, Manchester United without him in, are they better? Lots of people say the same about Portugal. What mm. do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think what's worth saying with Ronaldo is that we've seen him change the way that he's played over the years. So for in, 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 in the past, he played as a wide player predominantly. Um, particularly on the on the left hand side, and what would happen is that he would be playing behind. I'm just going to use Joao Felix here as a mm. as a placeholder, but he would play behind a nine, and the nine would do nine things and would generate space in here for him to attack. Uh, and so he would be what we would call a box arriver. So he was really really good at playing as a wide player, doing his thing against coming up against fullbacks, getting into wide areas, but also in these sorts of situations, being able to exploit the space that is created at the edge of the box. Now, box arriving. Box arriver, yeah. Mm. So what's happened is that it requires a huge amount of, of stamina and athleticism to be able to play this role. Now, people talk a lot about Ronaldo still having that athleticism, and it's true to a, to a degree. I think he, he is, for his age, he is very athletic at, at certain things. But he's not athletic enough to play this sort of role anymore. So what's happened is that he's now been moved into this nine position, and he's been expected to do nine things can i just can i ask you like what so we've heard from the you know the inside forward role the wide role running inside box arriving mm. lots of running lots of stamina what are nine things i mean we t- talked about it a bit before with richarlison but just how different are those two roles because there's a certain i don't know when i think about playing fifa the video game and i feel like a nine and a an inside forward are interchangeable i mean what how different are those two roles yeah, I think they're very different insofar as, as we talked about with Richarlison for Brazil. What we're expecting is is a player who's going to be a box presence, who's going to pin the centre-backs, as we call it, and do various... So in, in some situations, you're going to, he's going to be expected to do, you know, first-time header when the ball's crossed in. But what's going to happen is that there's going to be certain situations where the wide player is going to get on the byline, uh, going to look to tr- try and play the ball back across the box. And you want your nine in these situations usually to hit hit the front post, pull the back line with them, and then g- generate that space there as well. Um, obviously, we've talked a lot in the last 10 years about false nines because that has been popularized in certain ways. But a lot of managers at the moment are preferring to just use an out-and-out nine because they are able to make the most of, of when the ball does arrive in the box to score those goals when mm. they come. Also help out with, with link-up play as well. Uh, and Ronaldo's link-up play, I think, has been less than than helpful as well for um, for Manchester United of late. And I think the same was true in this game for, for Portugal. So the, the, the big issue for, for me is that he's being expected now to play a role that doesn't suit him as much because his physicality has changed. Yeah. And so um, you're, you're almost trying to force a, a square peg into a round hole just to get him into the team because you can't actually play him anywhere yeah. else. Assuming you agree with with John, w- what would be the benefits of him not being in, in the team, do you think? And obviously we're, we're all cognizant of the fact that he scored a goal today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, sorry, just before we go there, just mm. to add to what John's been saying as well, one of his issues that he's experiencing right now, and particularly when we're talking about that inside forward cutting in off the left, is that those players need to be able to generate a yard to shoot. They need to generate space for themselves to be able to get a a clean shot off. And that comes from lateral agility. It comes from a sudden movement of burst. And he wouldn't appreciate me uh, drawing the comparison, but look at what Alejandro Garnacho is doing for Man United right now in the way that he can just go and generate Mm. like a yard or two yards or sometimes three yards, Mm. which gives him room to cross or to shoot or to dummy and put a player on the floor. Ronaldo at the moment, unfortunately you know, being in his late thirties, he's just finding it really hard to find that burst, which allows him to generate that little bit of space you need for a clean shot. Mm. And you saw a couple of instances this evening where Ronaldo ends up on the left side of the box, just outside the six yard box. Yes, there's a lot of bodies in the way, probably shouldn't take the shot, but he always will. There's no space to take the shot. Mm. The shot is clearly going to be blocked by a defender's legs. He can't find a way around it. It's worth saying as well that the penalty actually came from, I think it was, was it Salasu who was yes. with him? So the ball, they're basically traveling in in a, a diagonal direction across the box here. 
Ronaldo and Salisu side by side and actually Ronaldo goes down under the the little amount of pressure that he gets but had he not done that and stayed on his feet he wouldn't have been able to generate that space that would be needed for him to get ahead of Salisu to get the shot away uh, and so that's even even the thing that he did well for Portugal in scare quotes was was based around the this, this idea that he actually wasn't able to generate separation between himself and the defender against him so mm. I think that was interesting as well yeah, they were stride for stride weren't they the whole time yeah do you remember a goal he scored against Roma in the Champions League a couple of years ago? He was um, he was still a Real Madrid player, and he drove in diagonally, left to right towards the box, chopped inside his man, and then it's a little bit of bad goalkeeping. But the ball ends up in the top corner. I think it might even even have been against Allison when he was still a Roma player. Mm-hmm. But like he did that so well, and it's not about. I always think that it's kind of misunderstood as an, as an ability because it's not about craft. It's not about knowing how to create that separation. It's having the agility to actually mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. And there's just no way around the fact that he's just getting older. Mm-hmm. And you, that's one of the things you lose, the explosiveness, dynamism. And usually, like, that doesn't just mean, you know, how quick are you over 20, 30, 40 yards? It's in those little fractions when you're a penalty box player and you need the separation and the space to get the shot at the angle. And it's just, it's not quite there. Yeah. And it won't be again because he's not going to get younger, obviously. Mm. That would be very weird. Okay. We yeah. talked a lot about uh, Ronaldo. Yeah. The rest of Portugal's team, what do you make of them, Uh Well, I mean... They came to life a little bit later on, maybe maybe thanks to the introduction of Rafael Leal, mm. who's one of the most exciting players he's great. in the world. Yeah. So fair <laughs> enough. Um, but he's playing at Milan at the moment. He's playing at AC Milan. But Portugal are pretty famous for being pretty stodgy, right? I mean, their coach is, is a very cautious man. Very cautious man. Doesn't like to play particularly enterprising football. It's been the big criticism of him, obviously. You've got all these talented players um, why don't you use them? Why don't you mm. let them cook, as people would say? And, <laughs> I'm starting uh, to think that's a criticism of every kind of like yeah. major nation, yeah. international team well, coach. This, you hear the same thing about Gareth Southgate. We've yeah. said the same thing about Didier Deschamps. Been hammered for, with it for years. How many, what, years, decade? years like, yeah. Isn't it just yeah. how it works? I so, mean, for the most part, the, yeah. the, the examples of, of teams playing reactively and winning on the international stage are much more plentiful than your uh, Spain Sure. And maybe, you, maybe Belgium have done it a bit recently, but they haven't had too much success. Yeah. Um, but do, yeah, do you remember how, how, how criticised Wilmots used to be for his Belgium approach? Like yeah. before he left and Martinez came in, he had all these attacking players. I mean, it's, that's boring. It's boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you think through the international managers at this World Cup, like how many of them have actually been successful in domestic football? It's very low because the, the two... The two sports are almost entirely Louis different. van Gaal. Yeah, so Louis van Gaal is, is a good example. Luis Enrique, I think, is a good yeah. example. Yeah. Um, Hansi, Hansi, Flick Hansi Flick is Hansi Flick has had, has had success yeah. at Bayern, which, yeah, whatever <clears> that means. Um, but <laughs> Louis van Gaal, I think, in, in, in many respects, is like he's like an older manager now. I think his ideas, obviously, were, were becoming a bit passe, yeah. uh, certainly by the time he was at Manchester United. But then, again, it's not entirely sure whether or not that's because he's at Manchester United. Yeah. But there's not very many managers who've played the elite style of football that we talk about a lot when we're talking about Premier League football. Yes. Um, so it used to be a conversation, didn't it? That, that particularly, I don't know, I can't speak for other countries, but in England, if a, if a, you know, if a manager in Division One was doing particularly well, maybe they'd start to be spoken about for the England job. Mm. That just doesn't happen anymore, does it? I mean, like it happened a bit with uh, Jose Mourinho about ten years ago. People talked about the idea that maybe he would take over, but have you ever heard anyone but reference the idea of Pep Guardiola taking this over? This is because He's it used talked. to be a reward, Joe. It used to be like you get an international job as a reward for what you've done at the club level, whether that made sense technically or not. Mm. And now it's like... Is it a punishment? <laughs> well, in some places, yeah. But the because, top managers are not in the international yeah, because, game for the most part. Yeah. It's also, and is that because of a stylistic difference? Or like, If you were to answer the question, honestly, yeah. if Gareth Southgate was a club, a domestic manager, what level are we talking well, he, about? He did... He did manage it. Sure, sure. Well. I mean, at, I mean well. now. I mean now. He, he would get a Premier League job, but then I think it's it's not just about coaching. It's also about how many days a year you coach and yeah. how involved you are and what kind of personality you have. Like, surely if, that's why it's the bonus. Well, no, because if you're someone like Pep Guardiola who <laughs> wants to be seen as a high priest of the game, do you want to be relevant for? Uh, you know, uh, an international break or a World Cup or every two years in a tournament cycle because you just don't get the same level of reverence from from international football. It's, mm. it's also less intellectually stimulating. <clears throat> of course, of course. Yeah. It's yeah. Essentially, what you're expected to do is just structure your team fairly well, recognise that you're not going to be able to do anything particularly smart in possession. You're not going to be particularly dynamic out of possession. And it's all about, one, managing all of the, the players that you have in your squad uh, and and obviously not like bringing them together every 
three months or however long it, it takes before you've got an, another game yeah. and, and being able to manage that aspect of it. So it's, it's very hard to sort of analyze what is, is and isn't good at this level because it's just so completely different from what the domestic managers have the time and space to do. It's, it's funny because we, we talk about it, domestic managers not having the time to implement their ideas because they only have like two training sessions a week. Whereas these guys get, you know, two training sessions every two or three months. So mm. it, it, it's very much about being, it's about being basic, having a decent structure, which everyone sort of knows, and then relying on your talent to produce yeah. moments. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I was listening to you half, but I was also laughing at the chat. I believe uh, one of our kind commenters complimented uh, the TIFO staff member who was moderating the chat at the moment, said what a good job they were doing. And uh, Craig promptly deleted it <laughs> and banned them for six minutes. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's TIFO staff member Henry. There we go. Henry lurking at home, watching his flatmate John McKenzie on the screen. He can't get enough of you, can he? I'll have he? stern words with him later. Stern words indeed. <laughs> well, we've spoken for a long time about um, whatever it was that we were just talking about. Let's discuss Ghana. Did we do Ghana already? No, we did not. No. Talk, tell me a little bit about Ghana, Seb. Were you, I mean, nobody apart from me, I will say, predicted them to score yesterday, but they did. They scored twice. Yeah, they did. I think part of it is because this is not a golden generation for Ghanaian football they had a really poor AFCON uh, also their high point in the World Cup was clearly 2010 when Uruguay and Luis Suarez happened and this team is probably not as talented and it lacks goals it's fundamental parts so players like Andre Ayo and Jordan Ayo, um, you know uh, they're older uh, some people still argue whether they're both worthy of a, of a place in the squad but if you actually looked at their um, I forget whether it was actually a 50 man squad or a 36. If you looked at the players who were called up to that group, uh, there are a couple of Zweider Bundesliga players in there. Uh, Ranzi Königsdorfer was, was, um, from Hasfar was, was in that group. And it just looked a little bit weak. They still got world class players in a couple of positions. Um, but it's not as defensively resilient as the 2010 was, the team was. That was a very organized, very disciplined, structured side, mm. but it had these kind of flourishes of personality at the top of the pitch. Um, which made it very, very interesting. Um, the chat asking us to talk about Mohamed Kudus. Yeah, I'm still undecided on him. I like watching him play. I don't know what that means about how good he is. He's. Um, I just haven't seen enough of him. A skillful, definitely. Mm-hmm. Very nearly played for Everton. Very nearly signed for Everton over the summer. Right. Not quite sure why that didn't get done, but um, they Ajax came close. came to their senses? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Or I, I just. I think he's probably due a, a move if and when he does move to a slightly higher level of yeah. the game, just because he's clearly very talented. But back in the summer, he was not in this Ajax context in this setup, was it? He was, no. Uh, he didn't play that much last year and he was probably worried he wasn't going to play much this year. He's broken into the team since then. Have you watched much of him this year? I've watched a bit, yeah. Okay, what have you he's, made of him? I like him, but he plays striker and he hates it. <laughs> he keeps yeah. complaining. He's like, I don't like playing striker. It's like, dude, he's got like 10 goals. He's already. definitely not a false nine. <laughs> like he's, he's, not, he's obviously not a number nine. He's not a false nine. To me, no. he's, he's that kind of... He's, he's a, a roaming he's, eight. He's a yeah, and he's great at carrying the ball. Yeah. He's great when the when the when the space to move into. He's great when the when the game is in transition, and he's one of their biggest threats if they can get him going in that in that transition phase for sure. He's very technically talented, very very good. I would. He's, um, he's quite unique, I'd say, in a Ghana context for the most part. One of the players that I like in this squad, who I think he'd work quite nicely with, is Kofi Kade, who's now at Freiburg, John's Freiburg. He was at St. Pauli last season. He's at John's Freiburg. Is yeah. that different to Freiburg? No, that, that is. John has it, his own like, Freiburg It's like team. Frank Lampard's derby. Oh, I it's see. That, that's what I've done there. <laughs> wow. um, he's a wonderfully gifted player, but he's, he's got a really nice story attached to him. He's, he's, um, he's now played and scored in the top four levels of German football. Uh, and he's just this wonderfully crafty. I, I suppose you might call him, he plays a wide forward as an attacking midfielder, as a shadow forward. Uh, he does a lot of things really well. Lovely passing range. Great goal celebration. If you get to see that, does this. Fabulous kind of um, backwards somersault corkscrew thing. Better than the second goal we saw today? Yeah, much better. <laughs> much more artistic. Um, we'll probably get to that. But I'd like to see him in there just to give uh, give Garner a little bit more attacking craft. I think that's what they were lacking. Um, although I, I suppose we should probably talk about Game State again because once they needed goals, all of a sudden a yeah. different Garner emerged and they mm. looked quite 100%. dangerous. I think on the squad thing, like it does feel, I'm looking at it here in front of me and it does kind of like feel a bit thrown together. Yeah, it does. And like, yeah. You've even got like, so we've got the 11 mapped out, but 
Tarek Lampy did not did not start this game. Like obviously he's come in at right back. They were trying to convince Eddie and Ketier to come and play for them. They did manage to convert a few. And Yaki Williams up front is a new recruit. Salasu was only just committed to play for the national Once team. Once he had Sinadoy as well. And yeah, and it's like it's it's definitely a team with three or four very very new faces who mm. have four or fewer caps. Now heading into a heading into a tournament that makes me a bit uneasy sometimes and, and like we're, we're all searching for this familiarity on the international stage we've touched on how little contact time these coaches have with these teams Seb's talked about how getting domestic pairs you know club pairs are so useful for that it's almost cheating on the chemistry <laughs> Ghana have nothing they have no one they have the IU brothers that they've had for 12 years but apart from that they're really struggling to form the connections the familiarity and I think you can see that in the way that they play sometimes and when they try to open out and I think you can see it in the way they set up as well mm. I think over the next five years, Ghana is going to be quite interesting because if you look at some of the players who they've recruited, um, there's some real talent there. It's just a bit underrealized. Like, talked about Ransi Konigsdorfer, but Stephen Ambrosius is another one, like potentially a really good right back, centre back of the future. These are young players who have no experience of international football at all, who in some cases are still not playing in the top tier in their, in, in their sort of, um, in their club's nations. So there's a nice big pool of talent which, over time can develop from the kind of can benefit from the kind of um experiences that sam's talking about whether it be going to afcons or world cups or whether it's just qualifying tournaments mm. like it's an interesting group it's not reliant on any individual in the way that maybe past uh generations were asma jam for instance was super important to ghana for a really long time mm. and Riley, he was great but um very interesting little parts it's just come a little bit earlier in the cycle i think this tournament yeah Okay. Well, listen, before we move on uh, to uh, to talk about Switzerland and Cameroon after a break, I just want to present you with a gift, Sam Tai. And the gift is this. It's how to watch football. The gift, uh, just to be clear, is a plug for our book <laughs> and a book, a free book. Now, we gave this to you earlier, didn't we? And then I told you I'd give it to you again on the podcast. And you said some wonderful things about it earlier. What did you say? And would you like to tell the audience about that again? <laughs> I said that it looks beautifully written. Oh, yes. It's got lots of pictures in it, yes. which is good for me. Note how he didn't say the pictures were beautiful. Oh, We'll tell Alice. We'll tell Sister we'll Alice tell about that. Yeah. The pictures yeah. are also beautiful. Yeah, yeah. What else is beautiful about the book? Um, it's uh, it's size. Yes, it fits in a stocking, doesn't it? Fits it fits in a stocking. It does fit in it. And guess <laughs> what's coming around the corner? You could wrap this. Thanksgiving. Oh, Thanksgiving's today. Yeah, Thanksgiving's is, today. Is, is, is today. Stick it is today. It's in a turkey. It is yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. happy Thanksgiving to those of you After who celebrate you've eaten a holiday. lot of food, yeah. instead of watching American football, you can read about how to watch mm. football, Well, indeed. Football. And of course, you know, uh, all holidays are welcome here. It needn't be Christmas, but any holiday uh, where there's a commercial element to it, <laughs> where you, uh, <laughs> where, you know, those holidays where we've Typically commercial all of them these days. Yes. Giving, giving, yes. that's it. Giving. Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. Uh, for your uh, for your football uh, friendly lover, for someone you love, um, a quite birthday. a lot. Yeah. Uh, but of course, listen. Uh, how to watch football available uh, in Sam's hand, but also available online. And I should say, if you if you're in the UK or wherever they have Waterstones, it's available uh, a lot of till size at Waterstones as well. Head into your local Waterstones to find I how to watch football. Went into one of my local Waterstones earlier today and just stood yeah. by our book. Did you? That was a fun experience. Were, no, you, were you hoping me, to be recognised? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Were you also talking over the end of my plug when you were doing that? Or yeah, was that but just I, now? I felt like it was it was worth it because it was part of the book plug. <laughs> that was just helping to sustain yeah. your plug. It's funny, isn't it? Six years of podcasts and you still don't know how to do them. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's have a break, and we'll be back after this. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
What a delightful break. Everyone had a lovely time here. But of course, there's still more football to discuss. Switzerland mm. won. Nil Cameroon, John. Um, oh, no, not John. Sam, you watched this game uh, closely, you said. And also, you rate Switzerland quite highly. This is Switzerland and Cameroon in the group with Brazil-Serbia. You think Switzerland going out of the group, ahead, uh, sorry, uh, progressing through the group ahead of Serbia. You also think they might go quite deep. Yeah. So, John, could you do me a favour? Could you set these teams up on the board while I justify my madness? Uh, because in my bracket, I accidentally put Switzerland to go through to the final of the World Cup. Right. Now, by accident well, or on purpose? It, it, no, it's not like I set out to do it, which is why it's an accident. But it did happen. Yeah. Uh, I can't deny that. Sure. Obviously, we respect the power of the bracket. Mm-hmm. You don't redo the bracket. No. Gut feeling is everything in football. And it turns out Switzerland are in the final this, right. year, this year. So look forward to that. Who are they facing? Uh Argentina, apparently. Oh. But that's, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> who did they knock out on the way? So, I think they they came second in the group, yeah. uh, which led them to Uruguay yeah. or Portugal. But it doesn't matter. They're yeah. going to be they're going to be either of them. Um, and then, um, <laughs> and then, um, and then they met Spain in the quarterfinals. And I just happened Not to remember, them out. just, just, I just happened to remember that they've got a, a pretty rich recent history of beating Spain. They do. They do it like quite regularly. Mm. Um, about as often as some people go to the gym. Sure. Once, once a year, once every year and a half. Never. Or so. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then they, so that means that they meet France in the semis. They just beat France yeah. in the Euros. Yeah. So I thought, hang on a minute, they're going all the way through. But yeah. look, I mean, um, I love being, I love going against the grain. Um, sure. and, and I, uh, I like and that's it when, why you've chosen to wear these clothes, is it? Or is that... Um, uh, to, no. No. Oh, sorry. I just thought it was... Uh, no, 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 nothing to do with that. That's mean as well. Nothing to do with that. There's nothing I'm wrong try, with that. I'm trying to spread it around nothing. so yeah. Seb doesn't feel so bad. Stand up for yourself. Stand up I'm for yourself. I'm the guest. If you let, if you let him in... I, let you <laughs> I was also trying to highlight Sam's Ranks FC oh, yeah. badge there, Oh, of course, I see. Yeah. Uh, which is from the Ranks FC podcast. Correct. You can find online. Yes, any podcast provider, Ranks FC, search Lovely stuff. Anywho... Um, Switzerland, pretty good, pretty annoying to play against, which is not really what you want in a tournament setup. Just like one of the, well, you know, when you get, you draw them and you go, oh, do we have to play against them? Mm. It's kind of how I feel about Wales from an England perspective. Sure. Do we have to play against them? 100%. Because, because they will, they will work even harder than usual to beat us. And mm. I feel like Switzerland have got that vibe to them. But, um, yeah, like generally a very solid tournament side. Okay. And just in the, just, to be honest with you, the, the first uh, the first match round has has only emboldened me here because yeah. some weird things have happened. But they played Cameroon today, and they were pretty good. I mean, this is a good game. Like they, the the, the great thing about this game, and it kind of makes it almost unique in this first round of matches context, is that for roughly twenty minutes each, they dominated each other. Oh, yeah. Whereas usually it's just absolute randomness, or one team is laying siege on the other. We saw quite a lot of that today. But here, they took it in turns. Switzerland started first 20 minutes, fantastic. Then they let Cameroon have a go. Oh, How very nice of them. That is nice. Cameroon, 20 minutes, brilliant. Gets first kick after half time, Switzerland back on it. Cameroon oh. go, you enjoy the ball, lads. It was great, honestly. <laughs> um, Switzerland won 1 0. They managed to put one move together. Right. But one of the genuinely interesting things was they played like a 4 3 3. I know that we're now no longer expecting Granite Xhaka to be a deep line midfielder. He's now moved into a kind of box to box role for Arsenal yeah. and he's been fantastic. But his positioning in this game was beyond anything I think I've seen really. He was generally floating as the furthest forward of the three midfielders. He was standing between the lines almost the entire time when his team had the ball. Froyle was at the base dictating things. Gibral Sau was just kind of distracting people on the right and Jaka was between the lines. Then Mbolo, the central striker, was making like dropping runs, like false nine runs and trying to pull the centre-backs out with him. And then Xhaka was making number nine runs over the shoulder. So Xhaka is now a striker. We're going to have to deal with that. He's scored a number of goals for Arsenal this season already, hasn't he, I suppose? He has done. I mean, he gets into the box loads for Arsenal, but Mm. I don't tend to see him running beyond the furthest man like he's no. getting it he's crashing into the box he's a box arriver or whatever someone whatever yeah. that term was i think uh, someone in the chat pointed out that john miller likes to call it a, a box crasher A box crasher. Yeah. oh he certainly crashes the box mm. certainly but we're so used to seeing Xhaka over the years get his foot on the ball in deeper areas try to dictate things he's not even remotely trying to do that anymore not even slightly he's leaving that to Freuler. he's leaving that to sal and bola's dropping all the way in and Xhaka's moving into the space now this was really hard for Cameroon to deal with. And, and Castelletto, the right centre-back, actually did an amazing job for the most part of just trying to keep a lid on it. Yeah. Um, but eventually there was a goal. And Kulu didn't fare so well on the left-hand side. But Xhaka's off-the-ball runs and positioning between the lines 
it, it kind of shocked me a little bit. I guess Cameroon wouldn't have expected it either. No, probably not. Mm. Probably not. Okay. Another thing that I noticed is that they were using cutbacks as a, as a dangerous way of, of causing problems. So what we saw a couple of times, so the goal came from a cutback itself. Um, but there was another chance that fell to Vargas as well that came from a cutback. But what we were seeing is the the wide player getting into the byline here on the corner of the, the, the penalty box and playing a ball basically on this line. So this is a line from the, the byline to the far side corner on the other side of the penalty the, box. A long diagonal a line long across diagonal. the penalty That's box. That's right. Yes. That's right. So the ball is the ball is here. In other words, a cutback. Yeah, a cutback from yeah. this sort of area. Uh, and what we would see is we would see one of the players dragging the back line back. So we talk about pinning a bit. So this player comes in, and that means that the whole of the defensive line has to drop back in. Um, and this leaves space, as we've been saying a lot in this in this episode. But Mbolo was here for the first goal and, and finished. That was the goal. Um, but what we also had was we had players coming in on, on the back of this line as well. So right at the far end of the box. So if Mbolo misses the ball or leaves the ball, as, as a dummy to pull this player in it can then <clears throat> come to this player as well something that they've obviously been working on and there was another example later on actually of, of Vargas uh, missing a, a fairly easy chance mm. in the same sort of situation as well so Switzerland have clearly been been working on that one too so hit the byline play the cut back and mm. you have players in the right place to to cause problems it, it, did, it did look very well orchestrated mm. and Sylvan Vidmer the right back was brilliant okay it's the first time I've seen him play well Right. So it was a great day for everyone. Very exciting. I mean, yeah. it's a very tough group, isn't it? We asked before, uh, for Serbia, of course, Brazil's their toughest game. For Brazil, Sam, is Serbia their toughest game? Or are they going to, you know, by the sounds of it, Switzerland are going to give them a, 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 a tough game also? Well, these two teams played very well today, like against each other. They felt quite well matched. And those the swings in terms of momentum and periods of control kind of confirmed that. They, mm. they felt like a good match for one another. Um, but I think Switzerland will be Brazil's toughest game. Definitely. Uh, they may not play as expansively as they did against Cameroon, but they have traditionally been extremely difficult to mm. play against. And I'm pretty sure they've still got that in them. So Switzerland with the experience, the kind of tournament know-how that we've kind of touched on and how certain teams lack it, you know Switzerland have it. I think Serbia moved into the category of overhyped just before this tournament started. I, mm. think, that's, I think that's probably fair to say. Not just because of the injuries that they're actually carrying, but kind of one of those teams that on paper it looks awesome and it, it doesn't necessarily come true. A bit like Poland. I can't believe you're just... calling Serbia overhyped when you said Switzerland are going to get to the final. <laughs> it's, it's possible that Switzerland are also being overhyped from this, this general direction. Um, but I do, I do think the Swiss stand up as the second strongest team in this group and nothing I've seen today has changed my mind there. Switzerland just have to win against Serbia in their three, basically. That's yeah. kind of it. I mean, yeah. that's the thing for Camp, from a Cameroon perspective, Seb, now, would you have said that they probably needed to get something out of this game if they were going to um, consider progressing? Or Yeah, definitely. Definitely. This was the game that they had to not lose, basically. Um, I think they could have got away with... It's interesting because it's the kind of group where you could imagine um, the final match day pitting, uh, well, having three teams on equal points and it being one of those on the final day. But um, Cameroon are now. I don't know. I don't think that Cameroon have the tools to dig themselves out of the hole they're in at the moment. Um, so yes. Okay, fine. Well, let's move on now to talk about Korea Republic nil nil Uruguay. Anything to say, John? Not a lot. Uruguay, I thought, were quite um, passive, um, considering when you look at the the team sheet, they've actually got uh, decent names on on there. Yeah. Uh, but we were talking a lot about this during the game, but. Uruguay seem to come into these into these games without a huge um, uh, attempt to to really cause the opposition problems, uh, at least in in their um, in the in the attacking third. So mm. um, yeah, it was it was very much a case of uh, South Korea or Korea Republic allowing the them to have the ball at the back, uh, funneling them wide and making sure that they weren't causing them any problems in the box. And um, yeah, I think that. I mean, it's a it's a nil 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 draw. No one likes talking about them, but yeah. um, you seem to love talking about them. You make videos <laughs> about nil nil draws all the time, John. There was that period where every video he got tasked with ended with a nil nil. That was draw. funny, wasn't it? Yeah. And every video JJ got was like, like three three yeah, or four like five. Man lose to yeah. But you know what? Of yeah. all the people I know who could draw something you know, interesting and, and, and uh, watchable out of a nil-nil draw. It's Sam Ty, but yeah. second place. <laughs> second JJ place Ball. would be you. JJ Ball, JJ maybe Ball. third place. That's JJ Ball's talented. 
JJ needs goals, otherwise he's all at sea. Hey? There we go. Anyway, before uh, we uh, go on to play points are bad, let's make use of Sam Tai, Jam Pai, right here. Um, got a few questions to, to ask you about the, the, the tournament more generally. And Seven, John, feel free to pitch in too. Mm. Um, what do you think about England? Because, of course, they play the USA tomorrow, and this is an Anglo-centric podcast. Yeah, I mean can't not be happy with the with the opening result right and it sure. just it felt like it just got better and better as the tournament wore on because the it's only iran comments were sort of eradicated and uh, demystified pretty fast because actually it turns out playing mm. world cup football is really hard yeah. getting getting off to a good start scoring lots of goals getting lots of player in, players into the rhythm very hard we've done it like right. not only have we battered iran and confidence is very high but you're bringing players off the bench and they're all scoring everyone yeah. feels part of this so it's, presumably we're going to mess it up tomorrow then I seriously hope not. No. Uh, for ranks, it would be a disaster. A lot of US listeners, it's a bit of a local derby. <laughs> um, we're on the chopping block. Yeah. We're, we're in like, big trouble if England don't beat the USA on Friday. But I mean, like you can't really, you can't really be mad at like what Spain and France have looked better. Mm. But of course, pinch of salt with Spain. They're against the worst team in the tournament yeah. by far. Um, and, Fra- and France, yeah, again, the same thing. So very, very happy. Very yeah. optimistic. Well, Rooney! Oh, there he Is goes. That what he's supposed to do at this point. That's that's what JJ Bull would do if he was here. Yeah, very exciting. Well, that, was, that, was. that was good. Wasn't yeah, it? it sort of shocked me a bit. That did it? Did, yeah. yeah, yeah, it did. It, because it also sounded strange, like a threat. Like J, <laughs> JJ makes it sound kind of jovial and fun. That felt like something was wrong. Yeah, yeah. it cut through me a little. I bit. I didn't really know how to respond. No, okay. No. Well, I think we should just move on and not acknowledge it anymore. Um, what are your <laughs> favourites? Uh, who are your favourites? I should say for the for the tournament so far. Switzerland. Switzerland. Of course, we've already touched on that one, haven't we, John? We haven't asked you who your favourite is for the tournament yeah Brazil Brazil I mean I went Argentina before the tournament <laughs> you said that like uh, you know well it's a knockout tournament yeah that's what things, it is things happen things happen and and things will happen so yeah. it's almost not worth talking about well I didn't say who's gonna win I said who are your favourites the, the team that I like the most I don't know That's you interpret different. the question however you want you're <laughs> no, in charge to. as soon as you're I finish you talking you get to interpret whatever I say in whatever direction I can't even choose. remember who's playing in the, in the World Cup let no. me just re- refer to my who's your favourite France, France. France. When I, 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 was, I was pretty uh, impressed by Chiumeni that was the one doubt I had over France right. how's that midfield going to look and he played really really well against Australia yeah. and so no, the rest of the team kind of speaks for itself Okay. Yeah. and everyone's been saying there's Chiumeni games in a day so. oh if I put that on Twitter, that's 12,000 likes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I'll hack your Twitter again tomorrow. You'll get more Thanks, likes. Craig, producer Craig, who's your uh, favourite for the tournament? Um, Mexico. He says Mexico. <laughs> there we go. I like Mexico too. Very exciting team. He bores yeah. on about Mexico all day. He's always Craig. talking about Mexico. Shut yeah. up about Mexican football, Craig. All right, fine. Um, biggest tactical surprise for you so far in the tournament, Sam time? Yeah, probably that so many of the... Um, quote-unquote minnows or smaller sides or maybe weaker sides mm. have been so incredibly aggressive and bold and really gone for it yeah and the good thing is is that they've reaped the rewards so it's positive reinforcement sure. everybody else should do it anyone who has sat in the low block and defended and been passive has been hurt and they've been punished and like look, iran terrible costa rica terrible wales first half terrible as soon as they try to attack bang you've got usa on the back foot all of the other teams that you may expect to follow suit we're talking about like Tunisia there, teams like that. They've been really bold. Morocco yeah. too. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. All of the upsets yeah. have been teams it, with smart off-the-ball yeah. systems that have a <laughs> yeah. clear plan of how they're going to come up against the opponents they're playing. And Almost as though it's not random. Yeah. And they've obviously had a degree of luck at, at times because you need to be if you're going to be a favourite. But they've also done everything in their power to keep the game within enough touching distance that the goals that they score are enough to win it. So yeah. 100%. Yeah. I just, I just think the, the response to that is usually that they just sit in and uh, actually it turns out they've been really bold really aggressive really brave and, and yeah. it's been great to watch genuinely because it's made some made for some really good games mm-hmm. that Tunisia performance is my favourite of the entire first round outside right. of England's because I just did not expect it they were yeah. nasty in a yeah. good way they, yeah. were, they were physical their midfielder Naiduni yeah. yeah, is yeah. awesome I'd never really seen him like play it. before he plays yeah. in Hungary how am I supposed to watch that mm. I'm discovering players I'm loving it it's brilliant good. Josh Shepard in the chat says mm. that name puns are the lowest form of comedy John do better well I bet he's feeling a bit sheepish now isn't he oh <laughs> Sam in the chat says if producer Craig didn't give a clear answer he'd be producer vague <laughs> <laughs> good lord 
Okay. Points are um, bad? No, no, no. Points One final bad. question. Puns are bad, listen, more like. Listen, am I right? As soon as he right? read out am something right? from the chat, you started to read out something from the chat, then you tried to move I'll me on. If you acknowledge Craig. the chat, they become <sighs> uncontrollable. This is what happens. Is I've lost control of the podcast. And the chat. The chat is uncontrollable. I've never had control of the chat. Um, Sam Ty, one final question for you. The, and you've done your brackets. Yes. So you will know the Respect answer the to this. Um, the matchup you'd most like to see, and it can't Im- include Switzerland. Oh, I don't know the rest of the bracket. You don't? <laughs> um, it doesn't have to be a realistic one. It doesn't have to be one that, that could take place technically. Mm. But of the teams you've seen so far, and you made the point when we started the podcast that we've now seen all of the teams mm. uh, play their opening game, which two of these teams would you, would you love to see together in the final? Uh, I would like to see Spain play a team that try that get anywhere near them just to see how right. fluid this stuff is. Yeah. Um, I'll go with England because obviously I'd like to see us tested in that way. Um, I would like to see us play Spain. Um, But really anybody who applies any pressure to any of their players would be great. Because then I can get a real gauge of who the actual favourite is. And do you think England, Spain, could it be something along the lines of the the 2009 and 2011 Champions League finals between Man United and and Barcelona? Or are we not there? Is the degree of separation not such? Oh, no, it's not there. No, No. No. we're not as helpless as Man United looked. They just scored England seven are a good goals. Team. England are a good team. They're, they're they're a good gonna, team. I don't think they're yeah. going to win the World Cup, but they're a good team. They're not a no-hoper. Mm. They're not a no-hoper. <laughs> no, but they're not. Like, I, Who's I, this England? Yeah. I feel like we've been conditioned to think this way in yeah, this country. Yeah, it's really hard to get over this. Then, true, if, the, if the English are conditioned to think of themselves as worse than they are, <laughs> if we've learned anything from history, it's that. <laughs> Ridiculous. In a, fo- <laughs> in, in a football context, that's my revenge for oh, that. Right, okay. Take your context prov- provision. You know, um, it feels like it's 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 it, the right thing is always to be re- really really negative about England until you reach critical uh, a point of critical mass, at which point everyone becomes ridiculously arrogant and obnoxious and, and assumes victory is imminent. The trick is just balancing it a little bit. Yeah. They're a good side. Mm-hmm. They're a good side. Yeah, they're a difficult side to beat England. I think. Um, and that will be, they'll get beaten probably yeah. by the, the, the uh, at least one of the teams that sort of um, goes really, really deep into the yeah. tournament. Yeah. yeah. But maybe France-Spain is the, is the, is the matchup there, like the, phys- the physicality and, the, and the, the threat that they can provide Spain going the other way, keep them a bit more honest. I do feel as though England didn't have to do a lot for their win against Iran. And I think when we went, I mean, Spain didn't have to do a huge amount for their win against Costa Rica. But I think there's, there's, France, been, some Australia. Teams, there's been some teams who you can see that they are, are doing they're, they're all of the phases of the game. They're playing quite well. Whereas I feel with England, they, they scored a couple of low value chances early on. That settled things down. Iran were obviously the, the context there was Iran had made a protest that was was obviously deeply unsettling for their yeah. players. And um, I think once England got that momentum, they they uh, they were always going to win that game. The big question is going to be, as I've said, like in the knockout stages, what happens when you come up against teams who actually have more of a, of a plan against you? How are you going to yeah. overcome that? And I don't think we can say on the basis of that Iran game that, that uh, England necessarily going, necessarily going to have that. Whereas I think with... With t- I mentioned Germany before, like Germany in the first half, they looked. Germany, looked- Spain is interesting. Like, yeah, everyone, everyone's kind of written Germany game. off. Germany, Spain is interesting because they will put the pressure on Spain mm. that we've been talking about. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, uh, speaking of pressure, please put your earphones back on now as we move on to the final section of the uh, the TIFO Football yeah. Podcast. And we're all going to listen to a nice little bit of music and then play a game. Isn't that right, producer Don? Producer Don there. Rooney! Remixing. Yeah. Producer, producer the Don and producer Craig have remixed the video too. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Thanks, guys. That. that was great. A sweet World Cup surprise. But it's time for Points Are Bad. Now, let me tell you uh, that, unfortunately, the man who isn't here today, JJ Bull, has had a rather exceptional day. Mm, I think it might be the best day ever in the history of Points Are Bad. Because JJ Bull today... <laughs> Predicting for four games, only added three points 
which is, I mean, that is phenomenal, isn't it? Two correct uh, outcomes altogether, I think, adding one and two points in the other two games. Um, it's been a less stellar day for the rest of us. Uh, John, you did quite well. You came second with eight points for today. Still quite far off three, though. And uh, Seb, you did nine. I did 11, right? We'll come back to the grand total overall a little bit later. And Sam Tai, you'll have to indulge us for the next uh, couple of minutes as I've we got predict. Zero points. You have zero You have zero. You're currently leading the way. That's absolutely <laughs> right. The best way of playing points are bad is not to play. Uh, now, uh, Wales, Iran. Let's begin there. And of course, JJ goes last because he got an ungodly number of points. I go first. So for Wales, Iran, I think I'm going to predict uh, quite a sort of stodgy affair. I'm going to go for a 1-1 with Wales going into the, that, that final game really needing something out of it. Um, Wales, I Iran, Seb Stafford Bloor. 2-0 Wales. You're going to go for a 2-0 Wales? Yes. Okay, that works for me. Um, no, no, not nil 20. That's wrong. Should be doing the Athletics live blog for this game. If Are you? to join me for that. Okay, yeah. well, that's exciting. That'd be fun. John, you're next. I will go 1-0 Iran. 1-0 Iran. Okay, that's a nil one. Now, JJ's uh, first prediction was nil-nil. So we'll give that to JJ. Qatar, Senegal. I think this is. I think Senegal are going to win this game. But I think Qatar are going to score. As I said, though, you're not betting on the result. You're betting on how many goals you think both teams. Well, indeed. And just sometimes the number of goals that teams score happen to also include a result. I'm going to go for a 2-1 win to Senegal there. Qatar, Senegal, set up a block. 3-0 Senegal. 3-0 Senegal. Okay. John McKenzie? Uh, do I go big? Or do you go home? That is a good question. You said 2-1, didn't you? I said 2-1. Seb said 3-0. I'll go 3-1. You're going to go 3-1 to, three, one to one, Senegal. 1-3. Yes, okay. Well, JJ's first request here uh, was 0-3, which has been taken by Seb. There was a 4-0. So JJ's gone fairly big yeah, for that so game. I thought he would go high, so I thought I'd have to go lower. But then 3-1 isn't much lower, is it? So. Netherlands-Ecuador. This is a fairly difficult one to predict, I think. I'm going to go for a 2-1 win to the Netherlands. Seb, Seb, Blor? Oh, I'm going to go 2-1 uh, Ecuador. You're going to go 1-2. Okay. Uh, John? I'll go 3-0 Netherlands. 3-0 Netherlands. And JJ Bull's first request here was 2-0, which he can have. Okay. And England, USA. Oh. I think we're going to hammer them. Oh, don't you do this every time. I know. I get it, it kind of worked last year. Didn't it, it did actually. Yeah. Did it also work against Iran? Um, yes, I said 5 0. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm going to say 3 1 in this game. That's not, not hammering in terms of the result, but hammering in terms of the performance. And what I say is irrelevant because I'm losing the game. Uh, what do you think, Seb? I think 2 0 England. You think 2 0 England? A much more sensible suggestion, John McKenzie. <laughs> I said England would win last time, and I still feel bad about saying that. Right. But I'm going to do it again. I'm going to go 3-0. He loves to feel bad. That's a 3-0 there. Has JJ predicted like a 5-0 USA? JJ has predicted 2-0, which has been taken by Seb. He's predicted 3-1, which has been taken by me. And his next prediction is 2-1, which actually sounds pretty accurate, doesn't it? Now we've said it all out. There we go. So those are the predictions for <coughs> the games tomorrow. I can tell you now the grand totals for us so far. JJ Bull re-entering the lead. John, you took it off him yesterday when you weren't here, but you've lost it again in magnificent apparel. Uh, 34, JJ leading the way. 38, you're following. Not far off. Four points. That could be one tomorrow. And now bear in mind, the gap is four. You need to have your uh, predictions separate enough. So next time you're both here and he goes first, you know, you can make a prediction there. Uh, 43 for Seb Stafford Bloor. You're having a rotten one because you're only two ahead of me on 45. And I'm bad. Yeah. So yeah. are points. Points are bad. That's points are bad done. Um, and I think that's the podcast done. Uh, Sam Tai of Ranks FC Podcast, thank you very much for joining us this evening. It's been a pleasure to have Sam, hasn't it? Sure has. Yeah. Old days. It's been fun. We, old we, we, days. That's his nickname. No, because we, 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 <laughs> Jam Pie, we old used to days. podcast with Sam a long time ago. Yes, we, we did. used to in the, in the Umaxit days. That's founded right. Founded this company. That's right. Yeah. There he goes. Yeah. Staking his claim. Yeah. Left at the wrong time, though. Anyway, <laughs> it's, uh, John McKenzie joining at the right time. Hey, John McKenzie, I hope you enjoyed yourself today. Thanks. Slow decline. Slow decline. <laughs> that's going to stick around, isn't it? Yeah. And Sebastian Stafford Bloor. I hope you get uh, some sleep. I shall indeed get yes, some sleep. Yes, you will. Yes. Thanks as usual to producers Craig and uh, Don. And uh, we will be back tomorrow with more. Mm -hmm.